You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Hi, I'm Josh Whiteside, an associate at Lozano Smith dealing with student special education and labor and employment issues. With me is... I'm Lee Burdick. I'm senior counsel at Lozano Smith dealing with local government, public agency law, including cities, counties, special districts. Uh, sorry, Lee, I just uh, got a Facebook message um, and a tweet <laughs> responding to my... I, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm on fire right now. I'm going viral. <laughs> I think you're you're going viral in the cold, sick way, Josh, not the, not the uh, online social media way. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so I, we're, today we're going to be obviously talking about social media and its impact on all of our jobs uh, and how... Specifically for public agencies, it's creating uh, questions about personal social media pages as well as public-facing either entity pages or social media pages of individuals that are directed towards the public. What are the distinctions between those three and how do we create rules for free speech related to those? Well, Josh, let's start the conversation at 30,000 feet and then fall towards the weeds, if if you like the parachute analogy. Okay. Uh, What this is really all about is government transparency for us, talking about the public agency use of social media in particular. Uh, Obviously, every public servant, every public agency wants to exert its best effort to engage the citizenship, the people it it exists to serve. And government agencies are becoming ever more aware that the the youthful constituents who are become who are maturing are growing up with technology and get a lot of their information and and want to interact with their government through the use of social media now we've talked on a couple of our previous podcasts about issues related to inclusivity and a public agency's ability or obligation to be inclusive and how they treat uh, their employees as well as their the public. Uh, this is a pivot point for that commitment. This is about government transparency. How do you take that internal commitment to inclusivity and treating everyone equally and then use it to interact with that external constituency, the public and 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 the citizens who have a need to relate with their government agency, whether it's knowing where the potholes are, whether it's knowing where construction is shut down the roads, whether it's knowing that there's a, a, a main water break that is blocking traffic, or whether it's interacting on a vote of the city council or the board of the supervisors or the school district board last night. There are ways that people want to interact with their government, and they're doing it increasingly on social media. And pivoting to the law part of this discussion, um, we're going to be talking about the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University versus Donald Trump case, a federal district court decision from uh, New York that ruled that President Trump's act of blocking Twitter users from his personal Twitter account um, in response to those Twitter users' criticism 
of his policies is a violation of their right to free speech. And and this case kind of symbolizes the path forward for the law on social media use by government officials. Um, I expect that it sounds like Donald Trump already wants to appeal the decision in this case, and it's likely going to progress through the courts uh, upwards. But you know, with law on these new technological advances, law is always pretty slow to respond to these things. And so even though government agencies and officials have been using social media to interact with their constituents and their families and parents and students for many, many years now, uh, probably at least a decade um, for some, um, the law is just now starting to have this conversation about what type of forum is being created, what can government do with those users who are being adamant uh, about their viewpoints, maybe to a, a nasty degree, we'll say. <laughs> well, the the thing I find fascinating about the the Trump social media case is that they are trying to to figure out and navigate that line where a public official has a private opinion and viewpoint and and uses a a purportedly private forum to express that viewpoint there in my mind is a completely open question that if you become a public official whether uh, you're elected to office or appointed to office or you choose to be employed by a public agency where does that stop being a, a public speech that you're speaking on behalf of your agency or in the context of your role with a public agency. I, 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 I find that to be a unique cutting edge issue in the law and one that is of extraordinary importance to the public's ability to decide how much weight to give an opinion. In other words, when somebody sees a tweet from Donald Trump, and I'm just using this as an example, not in any judgmental way, but any tweet, you know, even have a nice day tweet. Uh, is he expressing that in his role as a private citizen or is this my government talking to me? Right. People need to know that. And the and the law is being forced to make that decision. So the, the at least the district court in this case looked at several factors that went into figuring out whether or not there should be a free speech public forum analysis that should be applied to this private social media account of Donald Trump's. And so the court first noted, you know, whether or not the government owned or controlled that forum, you know, if are they able to control the content? Are they able to, to um, edit and remove and delete and add certain statements of their own? Um, then is that constitute government speech, right? So President Trump, for his private Twitter account, identifies in his Twitter bio as the 45th president of the United States and often makes statements about policy and national security decisions and that sort of thing. Um, so he's using the private account to talk about his own actions as a public official. So he's kind of um, commingling this idea of the private space, the private viewpoint, the private opinion with the outwardly public sort of persona um, and representing himself as the president through this private account. And so for those for this interactive space where, users are able to respond and comment on those policy statements on the comments being made by the president related to you know government affairs 
Um, those are places where the court has said it's created a public forum, a designated public forum. And the intent of the government, of President Trump, is to communicate directly with the public through that Twitter account. Um, and so for that reason, for because he has control, because this is government speech, and because this interactive space is designed to foster public opinion and public response to his policy statements, therefore, uh, he cannot legally block or limit the ability of users to respond back. You know, this is this is interesting. It, it, it's interesting because it's on a national level. But let's be really clear: this was the Southern District Court for the uh, for the District of New York, Southern District of New York. It was not a Supreme Court case, right. so it's not the law of the land. But it is the foundation on which it will likely be appealed. And I, I think you even told me that that the president has stated his intent to appeal it. Right. It's the, it's the beginning of a legal snowball that will eventually inform the rest of our jurisdictions. Eventually, I think so. So it's important for local government officials, school districts to consider if you're going to be using your private account and even your employees and training them on this issue as well, because if your employees are commingling government duties and actions and information with your own personal comments and photos and baby photos and, you know, birthday celebrations with red solo cups, right? You might want to be careful uh, that you are now creating a public forum for now everyone of the public to comment about your drinking habits, right? (laughs) And Josh, I'm going to take you on a tangent here, just briefly a tangent. If you are using your your, uh, Twitter account or your social media or your email or your texting function as a business uh, purpose and you're an employee of a public agency, you are making that available to everybody, right? To the extent you're using it to talk about your business, uh, the public agency business, because the California has a public records act. The federal government has the Freedom of Information Act. And California recently had the San Jose case, the city of San Jose case, that said, if you use those private uh, uh, venues, those private technology tools to conduct the public's business, the public has a right to see it. You can't hide it from disclosure to the public because you're using it in a private way. So we recommend certainly that that uh, employees and officials of government agencies don't use your private technology or your your private accounts uh, to to conduct public business because you you can make it accessible to everybody. So sorry to take you off on that tangent, uh, but yeah, these these are very real concerns. So what does a public agency do to try to make these lines clearer, both for their internal constituents as well as the public and their external constituents? Well, I think you talked about it right there. Um, Government transparency, right, is inherent in the Public Records Act request and the Freedom of Information Act, right? That's the whole point of those laws is to be, is to have the government be transparent about its business. So if you want to conduct official government business, school district business, 
I think, like you said, the best course would be to have a public account, have something that is designated as such, and you only conduct your government official business through that. You can, of course, you know, glam that up with photos of your family and of great headshots that you might have. But, you know, try to keep that separate from the things that you want to keep private. And for your private social media accounts, you know, make sure that you check your settings. Are they actually private? Are only your friends able to view that, you know? Um, and even then, you know, that might limit your risk, but probably best course to not uh, talk about public business there. And of course, if you're a public agency and you decide, yes, we do want to interact with the public uh, using social media, for instance, you have an important decision to make. You talked about, you know, watching your settings to make sure that, you right. know, only the, you know, on a private account, you limit the people who can see it. If you truly want to keep it a private account and not convert it to a public forum, but a public agency that says, yeah, I want to have a Facebook page, uh, or I want to have a Twitter account, or, you know, I want to use some of these other social media tools to reach my constituents, you get, you get to make an important decision. And that is, is it one way communication? Or is it two-way communication? Don't look at the comments, Lee. Don't yeah. look at the comments. <laughs> That's where the gremlins <laughs> lie, right? If you make it two-way, you don't have a lot of control over who comments or what they say, right? You can make it one way. You can make sure that the only posts are going out or avoid McKinley Avenue uh, because there are major potholes or avoid, uh, you know, uh, Lombard Street in San Francisco because there's a, a main water line break, right? You can you can push out one-way communications and be perfectly happy as a public agency. But a lot of boards, a lot of uh, city councils, boards of supervisors, school district boards want to make it two-way. They want to use it they as... They want a, the conversation. Right, they want the right. Until they don't. Until they get <laughs> those nasty comments from the trolls who, who want to use it as a way to make their lives miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing to be concerned about, too, is when you're speaking, are you speaking and you're saying, I believe or I think this, versus making a comment that says, we believe or we think this, and now you're suddenly speaking on behalf of potentially interpreted to be the board, the city council, and now you've got a Brown Act violation because you've now conducted it, arguably have making a statement of the board without holding a meeting. If if you're an individual on a board, on a legislative board that mm-hmm. gets to vote and you use uh, your personal forum or the agency forum as a way to communicate your viewpoints as an individual, yeah, you could be you could be doing a Ralph Brown Act violation. So I think it's important for public agencies that are thinking about choosing social media as a tool of government transparency to understand that they need to look at it in two ways. One is if you choose a two-way communication, there are two, two different constituencies you need to be guiding with respect to what is acceptable behavior, acceptable comments on your social media uh, uh, 
uh, tool. One is an internal communication, guidelines to your employees, particularly those who are going to be responsible for driving the content from the agency out into the world. They need to be aware of these First Amendment limitations on their ability to uh, block users. Uh, and and to delete comments that they find uh, uh, offensive, whether it's a personal attack on a board member or a fellow employee or an, an attack on an action that the agency has taken, you're in, you need to have internal guidelines for the staff that's responsible for monitoring and managing your social media accounts. You also need external guidelines that have to be communicated consistently across all your social media platforms. And those guidelines have to say to the public, we're willing to let you engage. We're willing to let you comment on anything you want to talk about so long as uh, you don't cross certain Boundaries And what would those boundaries be? Well, it could be inciting violence would be one. The, the Supreme Court has held that speech inciting violence is not protected by the First Amendment. So it's perfectly legitimate to have that guideline communicated clearly on the agency's Facebook page, social media page, etc., that any comments that incite violence or are sexual in nature, lewd or lascivious based on the, the, the discretionary judgment of the agency um, will be deleted and that the user could be blocked from commenting. And, and so long as your guidelines are consistent with the First Amendment and you enforce them uniformly in all cases, the agency can create a two-way communication tool using social media in a socially responsible way. And again, we come back to that idea of neutrality right here. The whole reason this case came to light was because President Trump was arguably only limiting the viewpoints of certain individuals, um, or sorry, was only limiting individuals, blocking individuals who had certain viewpoints about his policies and decisions. And so likewise for government agencies and public agencies, we need to make sure that we're not blocking individuals just because of the viewpoint, but that they actually meet one of those categorical exemptions where they are so lewd, they are so obscene, they are so hurt, you know, um, to such a targeted offensive nature that we can delete their comments and, and limit it. So, Lee, thank you for your thoughts on this. And I invite our audience to email, call, tweet, like, and comment, subscribe uh, to Lozano Smith uh, and with your questions. And if you need any help with uh, the external and internal guidelines that Lee was talking about for your agency. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Josh. Pleasure to be here. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any one of our eight offices throughout California. For details on how to get a hold of us, visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com slash podcast.